0: To the simple, to
1: the simple truth. You're listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Dion Cordova of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel.
0: Should you volunteer? Should you get involved? Should you share your God story? I mean, it feels awkward, uncomfortable, it feels frightening. I'm quaking in my boots. Well, guys, as Mother Teresa had written on the wall of her home, Here's what it said. Everybody said out loud, do it anyway. Say it again, do it anyway. Some of you need to write it on the dashboard of your car. Do it anyway. Love.
1: Whenever we hear stories of great faith in the Bible, it might be easy for us to label the characters as superheroes. Although the Apostle Paul was human just like us, with flaws and insecurities, the real superhero is the Holy Spirit. For us, sometimes the excuses are too many to count, yet the Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on, as well as the Holy Spirit preparing the way before us. Pastor Dion encourages us today to not let timidity win but to let Christ shine through us. Now let's join Pastor Dion in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message, Friends.
0: Well guys, about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, you know, Jesus resurrected, ascended, about 20 years after that, Jesus' disciples were pretty successful at saturating Israel with the good news about Jesus. Everybody say the Jews were covered. They saturated all of Israel after Jesus ascended. They saturated all of Israel with about the message of Jesus. And so the Jews were covered. But Jesus didn't die to just save Jews. He died for Gentiles or non-Jews also. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, us. I mean, because the Scripture doesn't say that God so loved the Jews that He gave His only begotten Son. It says that He loved the world. And that means Jews and Gentiles together. Can you say amen? And He loved us that He sent His only begotten Son for all of us. You know, like I said, the disciples of Jesus were great at saturating Israel and the Jews, so Jesus recruited Paul to be his everybody said out loud, apostle to the Gentiles. The 11 disciples were successful at saturating Israel and the Jews, but now that he wanted God wanted his message to get out to the Gentiles, so he recruited Paul. And so, over the next 20 years, Paul carried the Gospel into Syria, into Turkey, and into Greece. Paul preached to all these Gentile people. And the Gentiles believed, and churches blossomed. In fact, let's go ahead and map out the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. He came from Jerusalem. He was also a Jew, but he carried the Gospel as an apostle to the Gentiles and came out to Syria. And in Syria, a church started. The first Gentile church. And the Apostle Paul was a big part of that. And then he traveled all the way to Derbe and Lystra. And there he preached. He was even stoned in Lystra. Stoned, and I mean with rocks. Stoned in Lystra. And both in Derbe and in Lystra, churches were started. Then he continued through Iconium and preached there. And then he continued to Antioch. And in Antioch, another great church evolved because of his preaching. We should give him a hand. That's already four churches. So then he continues and he says, I'm not going to stop. The gospel needs to reach the Gentiles and there's a whole world. So he continues on to Troas. He gets on a boat and comes over into Greece And he docks here in Neapolis and then he starts ministering and preaching in Philippi next to a river. And all of a sudden God does some wonderful things in Philippi and a church blossoms with dozens of families and it's growing. So Paul has to leave, he wants to continue, but he leaves Luke there. One of his team members, he leaves Luke to stay in Philippi and grow the Christian. Because it's not enough that we just become Christians, we need to become Christ-like. Can you say amen? amen. So he left Luke and Philippi, and Paul continued on. He went all the way into Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica and Berea, another two churches began there in Greece. God is doing so wonderful, the Gentiles are believing. And so Paul wants to continue. But again, they have two big churches growing in Thessalonica and Berea. So he leaves another two members of his team. He leaves Silas and Timothy in each of these places so they can grow the Christians. And he is going to continue. And we ought to give the Apostle Paul a hand right there. And so that's where we've come this far in the book of Acts. And so now having, uh, you know, Paul having left the team behind to grow the believers in all those churches, Paul marched into this place. It's the next place. Everybody say it out loud. It's called what? Athens. So after he leaves his team behind growing the Christians there in those other churches, Paul marches on to Athens alone. Now Athens was the academic center of the known world at the time. Everybody say academics. It was an intellectual place of the center of the world at the time. In fact, Athens was home of the world's best Ivy League colleges and presidential libraries. The smartest and brightest people lived in this place called Athens. And since Paul was educated and very eloquent he marched into Athens feeling courageous and confident and capable. I can hang with these guys. I will be able to connect with them. And so Paul shared the Gospel of Jesus one-on-one with people in the marketplace of Athens. These intellectuals going from their college classes and going to philosophical schools. There in the market, he shared Christ with them. And as he was doing that, some fancy-pants philosophers grabbed him and drug him to the Areopagus on Mars Hill. In fact, let's read the passage. Here's what it says. It says, And they took Paul and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. So Paul's just sharing, you know, about Jesus in the marketplace with all these intellectuals and he's hanging with them and all of a sudden these philosophers come and grab him and say, we're going to take you to Mars Hill and to stand in front of the Areopagus. The Areopagus, guys, was a panel of philosophers that had been shared by the likes of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Big Greek philosophers had sat in these very seats before. Greece's biggest minds influenced culture and politics and history from this very hilltop where they drug Paul to share his story. Well, Paul shared. He shared a five-minute sermon with the smartest men in the world. He laid out a great argument for believing in Jesus. Paul told them that Jesus was God who had come in the flesh. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come. He was crucified and buried, but resurrected from the dead and is alive forevermore. Ha. But with the word resurrection, the judges dismissed Paul. See, they couldn't get their brains around resurrection. Those judges stood and said, Que está loco, resurrection! Come on! The smartest men in the world made the dumbest mistake of their lives. They rejected the truth. They circled their ears and said to each other, this guy's truck doesn't haul a full load. (laughs) They pointed at Paul and said, he's got a few screws that are loose." The ridicule and rejection of the Areopagus shut the door. I mean, without their endorsement, no one would listen to Paul's message. All they would do at this point was throw Paul a big loser sign. So discouraged and disappointed, Paul said goodbye to Athens. Everybody waved. Goodbye to Athens. Just say, ciao. That's how they say it out there. Ciao. Paul put Athens in his rear view mirror and started walking and traveling onward. As Paul came up to the sign of the next city, he hesitated. Everybody say, hesitated. He hesitated. The sign said, everybody say it out loud, Corinth. Say it again. Corinth. So he leaves Athens disappointed, discouraged, a little bit embarrassed, He leaves Athens. He was supposed to wait for his homies there that he had left. He told them to meet him in Athens, but because the door was closed, there was nothing else for Paul to do there. He's not a vacationer. He's not a tourist. He was there to preach and carry the Gospel. So he just packs up and leaves and moves on. And he says, I'll just hit the next city. But when he stopped, when he saw the sign that said, say the name again, Corinth. See, Corinth was sin city of the known world. It catered to the vices of the international sailors. Everybody say that, the to who? The international sailors. See, the Corinthians invented a method to connect the Mediterranean Sea of the Middle East to the Adriatic Sea of Europe. Well, what happens here in Corinthians, you know that there is an ifmus here. That is a small portion of land that basically connects, so it's not really an island by itself. It's not on an island. There's this isthmus. Well, guys, the Corinthians figured out a way to get the ships that cover all of this area. You know, Israel's down here. Syria's right here. Then we have Turkey, all of this. And all of these sailors that would go along these corridors, they figured out a way to get these ships across their ifness, across their land, on rollers. So they got commercial cargo ships and they created a land bridge where they would hoist these ships onto the land. They would roll them for four miles across the Isthmus and get them on into the Adriatic Sea right here. Because this area right here would save the sailors 200 miles to go around, and it would save them from the most treacherous waters, which were right here. The winds would blow in off the Mediterranean Sea. The sandbars were always shifting in this area. So it basically helped the sailors out, immensely, they would rather take this time and go across the isthmus and go through this corridor than having faced the bitter winds and possible treachery that the waters had for them here. So that's what the Corinthians did. They built that land bridge. But here's the thing. That particular process of getting the cargo ships across, the process of transport could take a few days. So Corinth entertained the sailors. Gluttony, gambling, party, and prostitution. That's what the Corinthians did. In fact, every citizen, every citizen of Corinth was required to serve as a prostitute for a week. It was like jury duty. It was their way that they pledged allegiance to their patron goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of sex, and so they would punch in. They would, you know, show up for their duty, uh, you know, and that there at the temple of Aphrodite to stay there a week, and then every night, a thousand of them, thousand men and women who were on duty, would hustle tricks in the temple of Aphrodite with all of those sailors who were laid over there as they waited. Corinth was like a vile and immoral truck stop. It gave loves a whole new meaning. You know what I'm saying? Well, Paul, as he's you know, going from Athens, he saw the love sign and the off-ramp. And he considered passing it by. Because what Nineveh, was to Jonah, what Samaria was to the Jews. Go ahead and do it, but don't try not to spit on your neighbor. All right. What Nineveh was to Jonah, what Samaria was to the Jews, Corinth was to Paul, a city of perverts that deserved God's judgment, people that are beyond forgiveness and salvation. I mean, these Corinthians. Go ahead, do it. Do, do, do it to your neighbor. Yeah. Gag me, right? That's Paul. He saw the sign. Loves. Corinth. You know, and he's like, oh, forget those people. Paul wrote them off at that moment. But God didn't. God hates sin, but He loves the sinner. It was probably here that God whispered to Paul. Those famous words. Where sin abounds. Everybody out loud. Grace abounds more. Let's say it again. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Right at that intersection, the Lord gave Paul a spiritual infomercial. He told Paul, my grace is like OxyClean. Huh? You can't tell its power until you put it to work against the dirtiest stains. And God's grace can cleanse the dirtiest sinners. Some of us might be shouting amen louder than others because we were some of the dirtiest. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Paul at that intersection realized how those people God hadn't written off. Paul knew at this point that God wanted to save the Corinthians. But Paul was still dragging around the insecurity from Athens. I mean, he didn't make a dent in an arena that he was familiar with amongst the elite and the educated. And he couldn't even make a dent there. How could he think to have any success in an arena of thugs and tramps and twisted people? I mean, how could he have any success amongst people he couldn't identify with or relate to? And especially all alone. Might end up in a ditch somewhere. Paul was being pulled outside of his comfort zone. In fact, he described it like this when he wrote to the Corinthians later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, listen to what Paul told them. He said, I came to you, everybody say it, in weakness, timid, and trembling. So Paul left Athens. He was a, saw the sign about to ride off these Corinthians. But God says, I love them. I want to save them. But Paul's saying, man, I didn't even, I couldn't even make a dent with people I can identify with. And you want me to go into a place where I, man, I, I cannot see eye to eye with those people. I think they're better off in the other place. He was being pulled outside of his comfort zone. And he says, so, so I went into Corinth. I came in with weakness, timid and trembling. Maybe you too are at an impasse. Should you volunteer? Should you get involved? Should you share your God story? I mean, it feels awkward, uncomfortable. It feels frightening. I'm quaking in my boots. Well, guys, as Mother Teresa had written on the wall of her home, here's what it said. Everybody said aloud, "Do it anyway." Say it again, "Do it anyway." Some of you need to write it on the dashboard of your car. Do it anyway. Love. Patience. Some of you need to write it, you know, in your homes, at your office, on your desk. Do everybody say it out loud. Do it anyway. So Paul, with a knot in his stomach and his knees shaking, took the off ramp, and then he prayed for God to help him. How many of you have done the same thing? Huh? Jumped in and then, oh my gosh. He jumped in, and before he even realized what he had got himself into, he had kind of already had an idea of what was going to happen, of what he was going to face. But So he jumped in, and that's the reason that he prayed for God's help. Paul made, at that juncture, after he took the off-ramp, Paul made an Old Testament vow. It's called a Nazarite vow. Everybody said out loud, a what? A Nazarite vow. What is that, Pastor Dion? Well, the Nazarite vow is kind of like a fast. A temporary commitment of dedication and prayer for strength. You know, those that you've run across and especially really spiritual Christians that tell you, well, I'm fasting. Well, What is that exactly? They're telling you that they have set some time aside for them to dedicate themselves to the Lord and ask for some spiritual strength. So the Nazarite vow was something similar to fasting. In fact, according to the Old Testament book of Leviticus chapter 6 that describes the Nazarite vow, the person taking the vow must set a time frame. It's going to be a week. It's going to be a month. It's going to be a year. The whole time that I'm going to be in Corinth is what Paul is going to say. The whole time that I'm going to be in Corinth. So you'd set a time frame. Alright, so that's, the book of Leviticus said the first thing you had to do, the person taking a vow had to set a time frame. And then during the time frame, you needed to abstain from three things in this Nazarite vow. From grape concoctions, from cadavers, and from clippers. Alright? So no grapes in any way, shape, or form. No raisin bran for breakfast, No wine with your meals. No empanaditas for dessert. No. No grapes. In any form, shape, or way. Plus, you couldn't go to no viewings or funerals. You could not get next to a dead body no matter how close in relationship they were to you. During that vow, you couldn't do those three things. So far, grape concoctions? No. Everybody said what? And then dead bodies? Everybody said And then the last thing that you couldn't do is that no barbers. You were not to cut your hair until the maturity date. Until the date that you set. Then, what you do after that date happened, you'd shave your head and you would offer your hair as a sacrifice in the temple of Jerusalem. That was the Nazarite vow. We know that Paul took this vow... Because it says in verse 18 of Acts chapter 18, here's what it says, the chapter of the wind, go ahead and look at verse 18. It says Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. He stayed in Corinth for 18 months. And then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Chachariah. There he shaved his head according to the Jewish custom, making the end of a vow. So now I just painted all the background for you. You got it? So Paul comes to Corinth and says, oh no, those guys are too wicked. They deserve to go to hell. But God says, I want them reached. So Paul's feeling pulled outside of his comfort zone, but he surrenders to God's will. I will do what you want me to. I will get off the off-ramp. But then he gives this vow, Lord, I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm making a Nazarite vow, I'm consecrating myself to You, that I will be dedicated to You for the whole time that I'm in Corinth, and I will fulfill a Nazarite vow so You can help me do Your work here in Corinth. Oh, it was awesome.
1: This has been another edition of The Simple Truth. Thanks for tuning in. Jesus changed history, and when he changed history, he changed the world. Throughout the book of Acts, we get a glimpse into the early church and just how much Jesus' life impacted those around him. Jesus showed humankind not only how to live and love, but how to spread the love of the Father to the world. Here at The Simple Truth, we pray that you learn to live and love just as Jesus did. And once you do that, we pray that you share His love with the world, just as the disciples did. We're so glad that you tuned in today for Pastor Dion's teaching in the Book of Acts. We'd like to encourage you to spend even more time studying the Word, learning about Jesus' life in the New Testament books. And we'd love to pray for you during this season as well. So please let us know how we can specifically be lifting you up to the Lord. Give us a call at 505-753-4363. That's 505-753-4363. Do you live in the Española area? If so, come visit us at Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel on Sundays and Wednesdays for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship. Find out more and get directions to the church by visiting tmcalvary.com. If you can't make it in person, we invite you to join us virtually through Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. Just follow the link to Facebook that you'll find at tmcalvary.com. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us again next time, right here on The Simple Truth. You're the one that we proclaim. We'll be fools for you as you work in us. May a power show in the deeds we sow. Let us draw our hands, and together we stand.